Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we welcome you into this room today. And uh, God, we thank you for who you are. Lord, I pray a, a special blessing over everyone here today that will hear your word. And, and Lord, I pray that it would create an impact in their hearts. I pray that you would just flow through this room and that, Lord, you would convict those with your spirit. And Lord, that it wouldn't just be a, something that would just make us feel good, but it would be something that would bring us to action where our hands and our feet would move for your kingdom. Lord, that's my prayer today. And it's in your son's holy name, I pray. Amen. Today we're uh, continuing on in this, uh, this uh, series called Road to Recovery. And uh, this is leading up to uh, a launch day on Labor Day of our Celebrate Recovery ministry. And, uh, you know, I know we've talked about that, mentioned it a lot for the past several weeks. I hope you, you're starting to understand what it's all about. It's, uh, it's about helping people overcome addiction. It is. But it's also about helping all of us get, get rid of and overcome those hurts and those hang-ups that can just paralyze us and keep, and keep us from moving. So it's so much more than just an addiction, which, which the addiction problem is tantamount in our community. But, but the most important thing about Celebrate Recovery is it doesn't just lend to a higher power. It talks about the one thing, the one person, that can help us get past these hurts and these hang-ups and these habits, and that's Jesus Christ. It's unapologetically about Jesus Christ. And so as we're, we're working up to this series, we've been talking about these steps. These steps, these eight steps that, it, that, that bring us through recovery, through this Celebrate Recovery uh, ministry. And each one of these steps is built on the last step. And so it's this word recovery. Uh, this is acrostic uh, so to speak. You know, it's a good Baptist way of looking at it, right? I mean, uh, we use this word, and each letter stands for one of those steps. And so just reviewing what we've been through so far, and I know this is redundant like Randy said, but I think it's important to do it. The, the first step, signified by the letter R, means that I need to realize that I'm not God. I need to realize that, that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and that my life is unmanageable. Then the next step in this process is that I need to earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to Him, and that He has the power to help me uh, recover. The next step is that I need to consciously choose to commit all of my life to Jesus' will and to His care and His control. And then the next step is I need to openly examine and confess all of my thoughts to God and myself and to someone else that I can trust. Then I need to voluntarily submit to every change that God wants me to make in my life and humbly ask Him to, to remove my character flaws. And so today we're going to be talking about the, the, the other letter E in recovery. And this is where I need to evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who hurt me, and make amends to those that I've harmed, except when it might hurt them or other people. And so today we're going to talk about this two-part process that takes forgiveness and it takes making amends. Today we're going to talk about repairing relationships. And so I want to start off by focusing on what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Ephesus when he said, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, 
brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So this is a two-part process. So the first part we're going to talk about is the fact that we need to forgive those who've hurt us. Why do we need to do that? Well, the, the best reason I can come up with is because God has forgiven me. I can't think of a better reason than that. Paul said, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, I know some of the people that have hurt me, I can tell you right now, I don't think they deserve my forgiveness. I mean, I really, that's the way, I'm just being honest. You know, when someone who's hurt me, it's kind of hard for me to think they really deserve it. Well, guess what? I don't deserve it either. I don't deserve God's forgiveness, but He forgives me anyway. You know, it's, it's said that a lot of times that people who feel unforgiven have a harder time being forgiving, and I think that kind of makes sense. But folks, we were forgiven. I've heard some people say, I can, I can never forgive that person. I can never do it. And so I've had people tell me that. What they did, I can't ever forgive that. And so my response to anybody that says that to me now is, well, boy, I hope you don't ever sin again. I hope you never do it because you need forgiveness. No one deserves forgiveness, not the least of which is me. We all, we, we all require forgiveness. We do. God is a just God. He can't turn a blind eye to sin. And so we require forgiveness. And for, forgiving somebody might hurt. It might be hard to do. People might tell me it's really difficult to forgive somebody. Well, I'm going to tell you something that's going to let you off the hook. i got some good news for you. You will never have to forgive anybody else more than God has already forgiven you. I want to say it again. And maybe you want to write this down if you're taking notes. God, you will never have to forgive anybody else in your life more than God has already forgiven you. Jesus said if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. And I think one, another reason we need to forgive people that hurt us is because, folks, resentment doesn't work. Amen. Resentment does not work. In the book of Job, it says, Resentment kills the fool, and envy slays the simple. There's a whole lot of truth in that. Amen. And that, what that really means is, to worry yourself to death with the resentment is just kind of foolish. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The Bible says you're only hurting yourself with anger. You're only hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself more than you're hurting anybody else. I know people that have carried a grudge for, I don't know, for something that happened 20 years ago. Now, I mean, it, it's just making them miserable. And you know, the other people that were involved in it have already forgotten about it. I mean, it's I'm, not, I'm not making that up. It's true. Resentment can't change the past. It won't change the person it only hurts you. It only hurts you. Quite frankly, it makes you miserable. It doesn't make you feel better to be resentful. I'll tell you something I've never heard anybody say. Boy, I feel so much better now that I resent that person. 
just doesn't happen. It, it makes you bitter. Bitterness makes you mad. It makes you unhappy. It's not hurting the other person. It's only hurting you. The most unhappy people that I've met in my life are people that hold a grudge forever. So you're not doing yourself any favors by being resentful. It's unreasonable and it doesn't help anybody. Most, like, most, most notably, it doesn't help you. Going on in the book of Job, it says, Some men stay healthy till the day they die. Others have no happiness at all. They, they live and they die with bitter hearts. I wanted to share something personal with you today. Uh, this past week was the third anniversary of the passing of my earthly father. Uh, my dad went on to his glory uh, in 2014. And, and I'm going to preface this story to tell you that I do not believe my father died with a bitter heart. I know that he didn't. I saw Jesus in his eyes in the twilight of his life. I know where my dad is right now. But my dad made a decision a long time ago that left him with no other choice but to carry some resentment to the grave with him. See, I, I want to tell you about my great aunt, Jenny. Her name was Lida, but we called her Jenny. I don't really know why, but we called her Aunt Jenny. And she lived right next door to us. And uh, her husband had died uh, when I was a young guy. I was really young when, when, when my great-uncle passed away. And so my dad, if you had to understand my dad, my dad loved family. I mean, he thought that, that there was nothing that we should preserve more than family. And so my dad took care of my Aunt Jenny. I mean, whenever something went wrong with the house or, or with the car or whatever, my dad was there to care for Aunt Jenny. And, and, and to be fair, she was there for him too. He had a business that ran behind her house. And, and a couple of days a week, she would go and feed him and his, his employees lunch. And so they cared for one another. And my Aunt Jenny had a loving heart. But i got to be honest, she had a mean streak in her, too. You know, in eastern Kentucky, I want to tell you, I'm from eastern Kentucky. Let me tell you a little about people, about people in eastern Kentucky. They are the best people in the world. Shirt off your back, do anything for you, but, man, you don't want to cross them. they got a whole different way of uh, taking care, you know, of justice and all that. And so my, my Aunt Jenny probably had a little bit of that eastern Kentucky in her. And so at one time in her life, she did something and said something that really hurt my dad. He wasn't ever supposed to know about it, but he, he heard it himself. And uh, I'll be honest with you, it really cut him to the bone. Now, if it had been anybody else, I think he could have gotten past it, but I think there's a whole lot of truth to the statement that says the people that can hurt you the most are the ones that are closest to you. And so my, my Aunt Jenny hurt my dad. I mean, really did. Made him angry. And I'm not going to share all the details. It's not important. But if I shared them with you, you might think, yeah, he, he was justifiably mad. He, he was justifiable in being upset about it. But this went on for years. My dad and my Aunt Jenny lived right next to each other and never spoke. I mean, never acknowledged each other. Uh, it, was, it was a bad situation. And as, as time went by, and my Aunt Jenny was uh, preparing to leave this world. And she had confided with a relative on her, in the hospital on her deathbed, a tearful request that she wanted my dad to come to her. And so I was there when this family member told that to my dad. And uh, no reaction. 
And so uh, my dad, I want to tell you this, he, he, was good, he was perfect with his timing when I was younger about giving me a good moral lesson on what I should or shouldn't do. I mean, he would always take me aside. I'm not even sure if he did that with my other siblings. I don't know. But he would always take me to the side, and he would instruct me on what the right thing to do was. And so I thought, I'm going to turn the tables on him today. I was an adult when this happened. And so I took him into his kitchen. I'm pretty sure it was around the kitchen table. It's been a long time ago. And I said, Dad, I think you need to go see Aunt Jenny. I think you need to honor her request. I said, she's just a dying woman. And she wants to make amends. And I think it would be, you'd be the bigger person if you did that. And I'd love to tell you that we got in the car and we drove to the hospital, but that, that never happened. Um, I'd like to say that he couldn't let go of the resentment, but if I was honest, I would have to say that he wouldn't let go of the resentment. And so I believe for a fact that my dad is in heaven with the Father right now. I'm not judging my dad when I say this, I, I know that that's where he is. What brought about his demise was some surgery, and they advised him against it, but when I talked to him, to him I wanted to make sure that he knew what he was doing. He said, this is going to fix me, give me a little more time with my grandkids, or I'm going to go on home to the Father, and I'm fine with that. And so I saw a peace and a joy that you can't get anywhere else except from knowing Christ. And so I know where my dad is. There's no doubt about that. But he put himself through years of resentment that could have ended that day. And he didn't do it. Jesus said, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that the Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. See, folks, we need forgiveness daily. I've come to believe that in my life. I think that when we stand before Christ and give an account for our life, we're going to need forgiveness. Because I, I don't know about you, I can say this about myself, but I, I hope you can say this about yourself too. There's none of us that are going to be able to stand before Jesus and say, I lived the perfect life. We require forgiveness on a daily basis. Jesus modeled forgiveness for us in his life. Jesus forgave the people that conspired against him, that had conspired to kill him. He forgave the people that beat him with the cat of nine tails, and he forgave the people that drove the spikes into his wrist, and he forgave the people that eventually killed him on the cross. Jesus modeled that forgiveness for him. And I've heard some people say, yeah, forgiveness is easy for Jesus. He's God. But I'm not, and so I can't forgive I want to say this. There's one word I have for you. No. No. Jesus was God. There's no doubt we cannot deny that, but Jesus was also fully human, like you and me. The Bible says that Jesus uh, was like us in every way, that he was tempted like us in every way. And so I have no doubt that Jesus was tempted not to forgive these guys. Jesus was tempted to, to, to hold resentment against them, he would have been right to do it. But Jesus chose obedience to God's will. That's the difference. Jesus chose obedience to God's will in everything that he did. He was man as God intended man to be. And so if we expect to be forgiven, then we have to forgive. I cannot forgive. Let me tell you this, though. I cannot forgive the people that, uh, that have hurt me unless I reveal my hurt to them. 
Now, we do something in our lives today. Someone, someone kind of gets our goat or makes us mad, and we just kind of want to own it. And sometimes we'll go to a third party, and we'll complain about it, and we'll say stuff about it, but we'll never address it with the person that's hurt us. So for some reason, we just don't want to let it go. You know, I've got, I've got a really good friend here in the church. And, you know, we are very close spiritual brothers. I don't think there's a time that we don't say I love you when we hang up the phone or when we part company. And we have grown together for the past couple of years like you wouldn't believe. And, you know, there's one incident that just happened just, just fairly recently. And I've got to tell you a little bit about my personality. I've got to let you know a little bit about Tony Harden. And I, maybe I won't shock you. But, you know, when I get fixated on something, when, when I get on a path, when I get on a trajectory, these blinders kind of come up. And I start getting this tunnel vision. And if anything kind of crosses my field of view that I think looks like an obstacle, you know, I've got a pushy personality where I'll just kind of push that out of the way. And I did this with my friend. He was sharing with me some things on his heart, some, some things that he wanted to do that he was kind of strategizing. And I kind of saw that uh, kind of blocking the view and I dismissed him and I pushed him out of the way. And you know what made him, made him angry, I think. Well, I know. It made him angry. It ticked him off. It hurt his feelings. And quite frankly, rightfully so. But you know, it wasn't for several weeks later that, I, that this kind of just came out almost by accident. And it's like I was, I was fat, dumb, and happy. You know, I just didn't know. And then, then when, I, when I realized that, I, I got to him and I said, and we talked it through and I apologize sincerely because I, I didn't intend to, be, to bully him in that, in that way, but I did. And so I think God taught us an important lesson about how to deal with these relationships because with the closest family, friends, or whatever, folks, it's going to happen. Because we're all we living in this broken world. We're all these miserable humans, and we're going to step on each other's toes. But God gives us the perfect formula to deal with that and move on. And so I think we both learned that lesson. So how do we reveal our hurt to people? How do we reveal our hurts? How do we kind of break that habit of kind of internalizing it? Well, I think probably a very practical piece of advice is to get a sheet of paper, write down all the hurts that people have, have done to you, the things where people have hurt you, write down what the specific thing was that they did. Put that down on a piece of paper because sometimes until we can look at it and read it, and I've got this one piece of advice, if you can't remember what it was, that ticked them off. And it happens, right? Maybe it's time for you just to let it go and suck it up, right? But, but write it down, and if all those things are there that you remember, um, write it down on a piece of paper so you understand what is bothering you. And then here's the next step. Release your offender. Release the person that's hurt you. Jesus was asked, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And Jesus' answer was not seven times, but 70 times seven times. Now, there's probably some math people out there. I'm not one of them. But, but maybe you've done that, that kind of infinity type of math. I mean, it basically means forever. It means over and over and over again you forgive your brother. Because it's not over when you forgive somebody. It's not over because forgiveness is continual. We have to be ready to, to forgive people continue we got to keep on forgiving them because those thoughts are going to come back into your head there's going to be things that are going to trigger the, these old wounds and it's going to all come up to the surface again and you're going to need to forgive them 
Again, over and over, we need to forgive people. And Jesus tells us that's what we need to do. It's not a one-shot deal. It's a continual effort. I don't know about you, but I keep sinning, right? I'm sure you say you keep sinning too. If, if not, you've already, you are sinning because you're lying about it. But we all keep sinning. Now, do, do we need to quit asking God for forgiveness? No. Not at all. You know, have you, I've, I've, got, I've caught myself saying a phrase or a statement over and over again. Maybe thousands of times in my life I've said one sentence, I've made a habit. And then that one time I say it and I say, man, that's stupid. Have you ever caught yourself with that? Here's one, here's one that I used to use that I think, and I think it is, it's kind of silly. I can forgive, now finish the sentence for me. I can forgive, but I can't forget. I can forgive, but I can't forget. That's kind of like saying, I can lose weight, but I can't quit eating Krispy Kremes. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't go together. It, it just do, it's like saying 2 plus 2 equals 5. You know, I, I thank God that God willfully forgets the sins of a repentant heart. I thank God that He's willfully forgetful. I'm, I actually, as a matter of fact, I'm counting on it. God does not hold our past against us. And we, don't, we can't forgive people and say, I'm going to hold, I, I can forgive you, but I'm going to keep holding it against you. That doesn't make any sense. So if that's a phrase that you've been saying, and I don't think you really understood what it really means. God forgives, a willfully, willfully forgives and forgets a repentant heart. Once you've, you've made this list, once you've released your, your offender, then the next step that you need to do is you need to replace your hurt with God's peace. Paul said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, I'm going to tell you one thing. If I've learned anything, if this stubborn head has learned anything in my lifetime, I've learned this, is that when I start to walk closer with Christ, if I work harder on trying to walk as Jesus walked, if I give in to that, let go, and give in to Him, then things that, that, that are obstacles, things, these habits and these hurts, they start to get crowded out of my heart. Amen. I'm not making that up. I'm not saying it for effect. But as we enter into a personal relationship with Jesus and we make it our goal to do His will, God's going to remove a lot of junk from your heart. And, and I think I'm living proof of that. And that's not bragging on Tony. It's bragging on Christ. Christ can do that in your life. So if this part one is to forgive others uh, that have hurt us, then the second part of this step is to make amends with those that we've hurt. In the book of Hebrews, it says, Watch out that no bitterness takes root among you, for as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Now, if forgiveness helps us, Forgiving others helps us, and making amends, obviously, with other people helps them. Not just in their, their physical life, but in their spiritual life. I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be held accountable for basically smiting somebody's spiritual life or quenching that. And so we need to make amends with the people that we've hurt. How do we do that? Remember that sheet of paper I told you about writing down the hurts that's where people have hurt you? Take that same piece of paper, flip it over, and then write down 
the people that you've hurt and the things that you've done. And be specific. Maybe it's a, a debt that you didn't repay. Uh, maybe, it's, um, maybe it's a broken promise that, that you know hurt someone. Maybe you've been over-controlling or maybe possessive to others in your life. Maybe you've been hypercritical of other people. Maybe you've been abusive either verbally or emotionally or even physically. Maybe you've been unfaithful to a spouse or to a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Or maybe you've lied to someone that you know has created damage. Write those things down and be specific about it. And then the next step is think about how you would want someone to come to you and make amends with you. Think about that. Jesus said, do unto others as you'd have them do to you, right? So try to picture what would move you if someone were to come and make amends with you. And you have to think about uh, what the right time for that is. Because you know, it, may not be, it may not be the right time. Like let's, let's, for, for example, it's with your parents and maybe they're, they're elderly. And it's something you did way when you were younger. They've forgotten about it or didn't know about it. It might be devastating for them now. That's just a judgment call that you would have to make. There's also you have to have the right attitude about it. Ephesians says there's a, there's a time for, uh, uh, for speaking truth and, and in the spirit of love. It's what Paul said. Speak the truth in the spirit of love. What that means is, I'll tell you, people that have hurt me, what I would really prefer is that they crawl down on their belly and they beg me, forget, wrap their hands around my legs and maybe kiss my shoes and beg me. You know, that's what I would like. But folks, that's not making amends. That's called vindication and that won't solve anything. Think about what you would want them to do. Go into that situation with the right attitude. Don't go in there with a chip on your shoulder. Don't go in there making excuses and explaining and justifying your actions. And so that's how we can make amends with other people. You need to think about whether it's appropriate as well. It might not be. Maybe it's an old girlfriend or boyfriend, and maybe they're married now. There's a third party involved. And so you don't want to hurt them. And so you have to make your, your best judgment about that. And you know what? It might not even be possible to personally make amends with somebody. Paul says if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with, ever, with everyone. And so it may be that that person is gone. They may have moved away, may not even live anywhere near you. It may be possible that, that person has died. And it's not around. And so how in the world can you make amends with that person? And so there's one piece of advice that I can give you. I kind of like this one. Write a letter. Sit down and write a letter. A letter you know you're never going to mail. And write it down and work your way through that and pray your way through that. You can't release them. You can't make amends with them. But you can set aside your guilt. And you can walk away from it. And then the next thing you need to do is, is refocus your life. We need to refocus our life. The book of Job says this, I think so rightly. Put your heart right. Reach out to God. Then face the world again, firm and courageous. Then all your troubles will fade from memory. Like floods that are past and remembered no more. I think there's a key to being able to let go of this, folks. There's a key to being able to forgive and to make amends. And I think that's to get busy doing God's will. 
you know, I know I'm going to sound like a broken record because I get up here and Matthew 28 is just always on my tongue because I think that we've kind of forgotten Jesus' last words. Uh, and, I, and I know I say it over and over again, but, but God's calling us to do His will, and His will is for us to go out as we go, as we go about our daily business, to preach the gospel, tell people about Jesus Christ, make disciples that make disciples, teach them God's commands, which is to make disciples. And then we have to promise that He's going to be with us. He's going to be with us until the very end of the age. And so if we stand any chance of of getting rid of these things in our life. I'll tell you, all this brooding over what people have done to me, all of this guilt that stacks up on my back that I carry around on a daily basis, all of that is just the devil's way of keeping us from doing God's will. It's Satan's way of keeping us from doing what God's called us to do. See, God gave us this guidebook. And it reveals this example of his life on just exactly how to do that. That three and a half years that Jesus spent on this earth preparing men and women to go out and do that commission. Not that great commission, but that everyday, everyday in and out commission of making disciples that make disciples. And we, we enter into that personal relationship with him and we get involved in his mission. He's going to start to crowd out this junk in our life. I'm convinced of that. And so that's what I wanted to share with you today. And I know you're probably sitting out there and you're thinking about these, these handy pieces of advice I've given you. say, man, he sure made that sound pretty easy. And I know it's not. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. If it was easy, I wouldn't have to stand up here and talk about it, right? Maybe you're sitting here today and, and what you've heard, maybe there's some things in your life. That's just keeping you from taking that next step. Maybe there's a resentment that you're just holding on to. Or maybe there's guilt that's just racking you and you're just suffering in silence that, with that with yourself. Today's the perfect day to let that go. We're going we're gonna to have communion here in just a little bit. The guys are already forming in the back. We're going to go to the Lord's table. And we're going to go to him and reflect on this, this sacrifice that he made from him. But it's also a time when we can sit and reflect on our own selves. When we can set in judgment of ourselves based on what we know God calls us to do. And when you take that and you make that prayer, we're going to have a song after this. I'm going to stick around up here. And if you want to come, you want to talk your way through that, if you want to just come and, and pray that away to God today, I want to be up here and I want to wait for you. I do that a lot. Not a lot of people come up, but I'm still going to do that. Because if one of you does, it's worth it for me. And if a bunch of you come up, I'm going to ask some other people to come up and pray with you. The song says, come to the altar, right? Come to the altar. God's arms are open wide. And so don't be too bashful or afraid or nervous to do that. Let it go and come on up and let's pray it out today. Maybe you're here and you haven't accepted Jesus for who he is, the Savior of your life. I'm going to be up here for that too. Today's the day. Don't wait. And don't worry about it. If that's you today, God's calling you. That's just your first step on this journey that leads toward, towards Jesus. But just like a marathon, you know, they say that the first couple, of, first couple of miles are harder than the last, right? Just getting started. So today's your starting point. Let's break those chains. Let me pray for our, our communion. Pray for our supper.
Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for giving us this simple ordinance where we can take two of the most common elements, this bread, this juice. Left on a counter, they mean nothing, but taken in your name, they mean everything. Lord, I pray a blessing of reflection on each and every one who partakes of this meal today. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name I pray.